Well, as we, uh, as we turn to the word today, there's a few things I want to accomplish. First of all, I want to let you know uh, there's some resources we are sharing with you. As we begin a new year, it is kind of that feel of like, eh, there's some there's some opportunity to think about what is to come. And uh, New Year's kind of a, w- a way of uh, regearing ourselves, if you will, for uh, another opportunity in the year ahead. And uh, there are some papers back on the back tables that have these resources listed. Um, I believe Mark shared it in our Friday email as well, a link to that, and uh, we'll have that for you in the coming weeks. Um, but uh, there's some daily devotionals on here, so if you're looking for opportunity, how do I spend time in the Word of God on a, on a regular basis, those devotionals can help with you with, help you with that. Uh, there's some books on here, various topics that you might find interesting as well that you'd like to pick up and, and read in the coming year that will help uh, um, continue to grow you in Christ. Uh, the one that is listed on here is entitled, Do You Believe? 12 Historic Doctrines to Change Your Everyday Life written by Paul Tripp. Uh, that is the book that I'm going to be using this year as my devotional. So each month I'll take one of those doctrines and walk through that in a very uh, detailed kind of way. Uh, and uh, many of those resources and books are out here for you to look at. And as you do that, if you would like any of those, uh, if you're interested in receiving one of those, you can write your name on a little slip of paper there. And after next week, we will have a drawing to give away those books uh, to uh, whoever um, name is in there. So if you would like that, you can check them out, uh, get them yourself uh, for uh, your library to to use this year uh, and uh, possibly get one one of those copies uh, there in the giveaway. All right. And then there's some reading through the Bible in a year uh, guides as well. That's one of the things that many people think about at the start of a new year. Can I read through the Bible maybe from cover to cover in the year or there's various ways of doing that. Uh, there's two resources on the back table for you if you want a printed guide of that one. Uh, the Navigator's Guide uh, brings you from Old Testament, New Testament, kind of gives you a mix as you're reading each day. Um, and then the other, called the Bible Recap, is a chronological reading of the Bible. And so it'll plug in for you kind of uh, where the same stories that it mentions in uh, the Kings and Chronicles, it'll kind of put those together for you, things like that, so you can read the, the Scripture in a chronological manner. Uh, that's what I utilized this year and found that very effective. Uh, and so, um, anyway, just want to resource you for the new year. It's a time to kind of think through things and, and uh, in a sense, a bit of a fresh start and, and want to resource you with many of those. There's some websites and, and so forth that are on there as well in your Bible study for the year. Um, and uh, regarding Bible study, next week we're going to have our commissioning Sunday. We'll introduce our leadership community to you. I have kind of our emphasis for the year. Looking forward to that. And then the following week on January 14th, we are going to begin a study uh, of the book of Revelation. And, uh, and so I had asked you a few weeks ago to be praying about that with me. And I was in prayerful consideration of that and have felt led of the Lord to do that. And so uh, we will start uh, several weeks there going throughout the book of of the Revelation, and uh, it'll be a, a very meaningful study for us. Well, as we spend time in the Word today, I want you to find in your Bible the book of Hebrews. Uh, and uh, the uh, New Year's, is, as we've mentioned, always that mix, right, of, of things that you look back on, and maybe those are things that uh, you wish were different throughout this last year, maybe some things that were exciting for you, uh, some unex- unexpected blessings that God 
gave to you. Uh, and as we look forward to another year, the uncertainty, the unknown, uh, you know, something, and maybe there's lingering effects of something that happened this year that kind of linger into next year that you're not really looking forward to, maybe has you discouraged or fearful. Maybe there's things you're optimistic and hopeful about as you head into the new year. And and here's uh, here's what New Year's always brings, right? It's kind of the same conversation, isn't it? Uh, you know, your particular life circumstance might be different from year to year, but we kind of think about New Year in the same manner of looking back and looking forward uh, at what God has done, is doing, will do. And that's because this is life, right? I mean, life is this mixture of things that bring both hope and joy and, and that which brings at times sorrow and grief. And, and all of us experience that that we call life. And in the midst of it all, we have to ask ourselves the question, what can keep us grounded and stable? What can keep us grounded and stable? What will guide us through it all? We just had some uh, unexpected news this morning. My wife and I were awakened early this morning uh, by a text from our son, who he and his wife uh, had the opportunity of traveling to London uh, with another couple and uh, spending some time there, their first time uh, overseas like that. And uh, they received a text from her family uh, this morning that her brother, at the age of 24, had some sort of cardiac issue this morning and uh, early, and uh, they anticipate was without oxygen for about 40 minutes. And uh, CPR was performed and taken to the hospital where he remains unconscious. And uh, so we're praying for them, and, and my son and his wife, they uh, changed their flight. They left their in-flight right now to get home to her family. And uh, so we don't know, right? And, and the various matters of life uh, that uh, uh, is just, man, uh, what do we do with this? What, what keeps us grounded in the midst of those kind of things that is life? And, and the what question I think we can rephrase it. The what question is really a who question, right? Who can keep us grounded and stable? And my answer may not be a surprise to you. Uh, Santa Claus, right, can keep us grounded and stable, right? Yeah. No. Jesus, right? Jesus, a vibrant relationship with Jesus, a personal, authentic relationship with Jesus. And to learn about the who, to learn about Jesus, there is a what, and we refer to it as the Word of God. And so as you find the book of Hebrews, you're already there perhaps. Maybe you knew enough to the Bible. You're tuning in online. You don't know much about the Bible. You just, if you need to, go to the table of contents. If you've got a Bible with you in the front of it, look at where Hebrews is. Find the page number. Go there. Uh, the big numbers are chapter numbers. The little numbers are verse numbers, right? And if you are that new to the Bible and you are here with us today, you're tuning in like, I am thankful you are here. And I want you to know that. Because all of us had to start somewhere, right? And I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful we have the opportunity to study the Word of God together. I'm so excited that last week we had a young man who uh, gave his life to Christ, 20 years old, after third service, and confessed Jesus. And, and uh, somebody shared with me that for Christmas his gift was a Bible. And, uh, and so excited about that. Yes. And God is at work in those ways. And so... Um, as, you, as we find our ways there, let me, let me give you just a rundown of, of a broad stroke of, 
of what the book of Hebrews is about in the scriptures. And uh, again, if you're new to the word of God, you may have a Bible that has some introductory comments at the beginning of each book that would basically share with you what I'm about to share with you. And it's a great way to just know what uh, kind of the specific context of each book of the Bible is about. And so the book of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who wrote it. Um, most of the books of the Bible we do. This one we don't. We do know it was written to encourage Christians in a time of persecution. It was written in that season of time when Nero was the emperor of Rome and, and Christians were persecuted greatly under uh, his leadership, even put to death. And so uh, it was a time in which many believers lived in that kind of context, claiming the name of Christ meant it could possibly cost them their life. And it focuses on the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus as Savior. The first several chapters focus upon Jesus' accomplished work and salvation, uh, that he is the once and for all sacrifice. And, uh, and we learn, we're challenged to not neglect such a great salvation. And then in chapters 11 through 13, uh, we are called to live in imitation of those who went before us and who lived lives of faith, uh, and we are challenged to do the same. And so in Hebrews chapter 1, let's read the first four verses as we see the groundwork of this book, and you'll see where it takes us here uh, in just a few moments. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Long ago at many times and in many ways... God spoke. Everybody say, God spoke. All right. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So verse 1, right? Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke. God speaking in multiple ways. What are those ways? That God has spoken to us. Notice it's not just one way, it's many ways. Well, we think about creation, right? We think about the universe. The heavens declare the glory of God. We are told in the word of God that we can see God's immeasurable and amazing attributes by observing the nature around us, the universe. God has spoken through his creation. God has spoken to humanity in very direct ways, right? In the biblical account, we have God speaking to Noah and speaking to Abraham and calling him and Abraham responding and going where God told him to go. And then we have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We have the prophets. God has spoken through humanity, through those whom he has specifically given a message and in these last days, right, and then verse 2 begins with the word but. So there's kind of a contrast here. What's different in these last days, which the days are we, we are living in. I believe we've been in the last days since the coming of Christ, uh, since his death and his resurrection. We've been living in the last days. And in these last days, the author says, 
God has spoken to us by his son. And then he goes on to mention why he has spoken to us or how he has spoken to us by his son. And he does so by mentioning the position of Jesus in verse 2. Right? And there's a depth of theology here that we just don't have time to get into today. But let's just look at it here briefly. Uh, the author mentions the position of Jesus. That the Father appointed Jesus the heir of all things. That he's the heir. What is an heir? Well, one who's appointed to receive an inheritance. Um, and so in the scriptures, we see this, these themes of a birthright and of the, the right of the firstborn. And those kind of things come out. And then Jesus in the New Testament is called the firstborn of all creation. He is the heir of all things. He is the head of all things. And second of all, we see the position of Jesus that the Father created the world through him. Right? He's the creator. Not that Jesus himself was created. No, Jesus has been eternally existent in, in eternity past to eternity future. He's God, and so he's been present with the Father, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit is our understanding of the Godhead. And, and the Father says here, right, the author says, I created the world through him. If you want a great place to, to read to kind of expound this and, and see how the, uh, the scripture kind of uh, agrees with itself in this regard, read John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 this afternoon. And you'll see basically the same thing communicated in those texts by those authors as what you see here in the book of Hebrews, that the world was created through him and that he is supreme. And so the author of Hebrews mentions this position of Jesus, and he mentions the nature of Jesus in verse 3, that he is the radiance of the glory of God, that he is the exact imprint of God's nature. And we know and believe and to be true that that's because he was God himself, right? God in the flesh. And he also says that, that the, the nature of Jesus, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power, by the word of his power. God spoke the world into existence through Christ, and he continues to sustain all of creation through the power of his word. That's Jesus. And so one of the core values we have here at Crossroads is that we value the word of God, what we also call the Bible. We value the word of God as the ultimate source of truth, as it testifies of the living word, who is Jesus Christ. And so Hebrews certainly proclaims that to us, teaches that to us. Now, the bottom line is this. What do we learn about God in this context? Is that God is a communicator. God speaks. God has spoken. In many times, in many ways, God has spoken. He's spoken through the universe. He's spoken directly. He has spoken by the prophets. He has spoken by sending his son the living word, and today we believe he has spoken in his written word. The power of truth is often found in answer to the question, why? And so we ask the question, why does God speak to us? If it seems to be true that God has spoken in many times in many ways, why does God speak to us? I believe God speaks to us because he wants us to know him and to understand his ways. If we look at all of the communication, right, creation, prophets, the word of God, as we, as, we, as we look at God's communication through his son, why did God communicate? Because he wants us to know him and to understand his ways. 
And we could go a step further with that question, why? We say, well, why would God want us to know him and to understand his ways? And I think the answer to that question is because he wants us to rest in him. He wants us to rest in him. Everybody say the word rest with me. Rest, right? Now, my guess is you all just responded a bit differently when you heard the word rest, right? Depending on your age, life experiences, and all of that, what comes to mind when you hear the word rest? God has always wanted us to rest in him, to have a relationship with him. The word rest doesn't mean great Sunday afternoon naps, right, as fantastic as they are. Some of you that are young parents, you got kids, like someday you'll get back to resting on Sunday afternoon, all right? It does happen. But rest, rest meaning in a biblical sense, meaning order, meaning purpose, meaning peace and hope. That which kind of grounds us in life, a sense of rest. If you think about the things that cause anxiety within us, you think about the things that, that, that stir us in life, that cause us not to be able to sleep at night, right? Those, those things that we wonder about that are the uncertainties and all of that, the what ifs, and, 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 and to rest in God, meaning that we have this sense of purpose and of order and of peace in Christ and of, of hope in Him, to, to trust in His sovereignty, to trust in who He is, that's the sense of rest. God communicates with us because he wants us to know him and understand his ways. And as we do, it brings that sense of rest to our soul. Peace in him. This is what Jesus offered to us in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the author of Hebrews draws attention to this theme of rest. He, he, he speaks of it in multiple ways. He goes back to reflect upon creation and God's uh, created order in six days, right? God speaking the world into existence and then God resting on the seventh day. He gave us a pattern to follow. He speaks of the creative beauty and design and order and perfection. And, and then he speaks of the fact that our sin brought unrest and turmoil in life. And then God called Abram to a land to find rest for the Israelites. And God delivered them out of the slavery, slavery of Egypt to enter that rest. But they disobeyed and they grumbled and made idols to worship instead of worshiping God. And that generation that was brought out of Egypt did not enter God's rest in the land. So God spoke and he said, this second generation will go and be the ones to enter. And so Joshua was the leader. But even through Joshua's leadership, when they got to the promised land, Israel never truly entered the rest. But then God spoke through his son. That once and for all sacrifice, the author of salvation, the one who declared upon the cross, it is finished. True rest is found in him, the Son, the one through whom the Father has spoken. 
in these days. We are to pay close attention to this salvation in Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 speaks of that. It says, we must, much, uh, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. That's what the Israelites did. God would lead them. God would show himself. God would communicate with them. He would speak to them, and they would drift. And so when we get to Hebrews chapter 4, in contrast to this drifting, we see this striving. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. This rest that God has provided, this rest that God has spoken of. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience, that disobedience of the Israelites as the author has reflected on. Verse 12, for the, here it is, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What's the word striving? That seems to be in conflict with the sense of rest, doesn't it? Striving, like working, seems opposed to resting. Striving is not in the sense of working, like we have to earn this rest in some way. No, the word strive means to be diligent. Just as we were encouraged to pay attention so we don't drift, the word striving here means to to, to pay attention, to be diligent, to stay focused, to learn from the past, not to repeat it, so that you may enter the rest. This rest that is both present, here and now, and future. We refer to that as kind of the already and not yet Right? There's the rest that is already available for us in Christ. That as we come to him in salvation, trusting in his finished work upon the cross, right? we find rest for our souls. We find peace in the midst of the chaos of this world. And we find hope that there is a future fulfillment of that that is yet to come in which there will be complete rest, where there is no more chaos, where there is no more uh, sorrow and tear, where God has provided a place in that future, that promise for those who follow him and place their faith in him of that eternal glory and rest that we will experience in him. But we don't have to wait for that to experience rest right now, to be diligent, to focus our hearts and minds upon Jesus Christ, the one whom, through whom the Father has spoken now in these last days. And he says this rest, that order, that purpose, that meaning, that hope is found in him. And so as we strive to enter that rest, the author says, for the word of God, right? So listen to that, that pattern, right? That we may not enter into that same disobedience for the word of God. How do we enter that rest? How do we strive? For the word of God is living and active. The word of God. In one sense, I want to say all of it. All of the word of God. We refer to the Bible as the word of God, but is this the only way that God has spoken? No, God has spoken in his creation. Right? God has spoken in history. 
But God has given to us this revelation, right? This, this, this biblical account, as we refer to it, the Bible, the canon of Scripture. And we learn these things through the written word. We learn about creation through the written word. We learn about what the prophets had said through the written word of God. The written word declares the final word as well. In the written word, we learn about God's plan for that future, for the final victory, for that eternal glory of a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going we're gonna to look at that more closely as we study the book of, of Revelation here over the next several months. Friend, God has spoken. And there's a question today that many ask is like, well, God, does God still speak? We not only have the written word of God, does God still speak? I would say this, that God has given to us his Holy Spirit. Friend, if you're a follower of Christ, you have the very Spirit of God dwelling in you, living in you. That's God's gracious gift to you to say, yep, you're never alone in this world, right? And I came from a tradition growing up where I experienced both. And I know your church background, if, you know, if you've been around church your life, maybe you grew up in a context where, where the Holy Spirit was rarely mentioned. Right? Maybe you grew up in a context where the Holy Spirit was maybe overemphasized. Right? And, and I grew up in a context of both, to be honest with you. I grew up in a church that tended to overemphasize it. I grew up in a school, went to a Christian school that rarely ever mentioned the Holy Spirit. And, and I think what we need to realize is God has given to you the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he uses the Holy Spirit along with his written word. There's an active relationship that God uses the authority of his written word by the power of his Holy Spirit to transform a person. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says this, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit, with our inner person, right? That the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There's something Supernatural. There's something amazing that happens in the life of a believer that says, man, the Spirit of God is within me, and the Spirit communicates with my spirit. So in one regard, I want to say, boy, I sure hope that there's some communication going on in your mind and heart. I sure hope that God is speaking and using the sword of the Spirit, right? Ephesians chapter 6, the Word of God, the written Word of God is referred to as the sword of the Spirit in that and that communication about the armor of God. Why is it the sword of the Spirit? Because it's that which this Holy Spirit uses in us to be transformed. Right? It's through the Word of God, through the written revelation of God that He has given to us. And so the written Word is the foundation or the filter through which all truth flows. If someone claims to hear something from God, that God has spoken to them, but it contradicts God's written word, then throw it out, friend, right? Because God will never contradict himself. And God has spoken. And believe God, God orchestrated a, a process through uh, 14, 1,500 years of which he communicated through human authors, right? If God can, if God can see fit to, to create the universe in which we live with the power of his spoken word, do you think God can orchestrate a, a, a situation with human authors to work through them and their individuality in such a way that, that they wrote down exactly what God wanted us to have? Do you believe God can oversee that kind of process? 
And I think the scriptures declare itself. And, and as we look at the evidence for the word of God in multiple ways, and we'd love to have that conversation with you if you need to have that conversation. You have questions about how do we know this is the word of God, that this is actually the revelation of God. We can have that conversation. We simply don't have time to do that today. But as we look at the evidence of this, it's like, man, 40 different authors, 14, 1500 years, and, and yet it tells a single story in complete agreement. That's amazing. Right. And it's part of what helps us understand, like this is the word of God. God is communicating to you continually through his written word. This isn't just words on a page. Right. In one regard, this is paper and ink. But in the other regard, it is the message. Of power. Communicated to us by God. And that's why it's important to study it well. That's why we need to value, right, those who, who and, that, and this isn't going to be a context for all of us. You can do it in some limited way unless you want to take some further training and all of that and receive it. Absolutely. But we need to value those who take the time and effort to, to go back and study the original languages of Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and, and who, who communicate what, the, what that original saying is. We need to be mindful in our study of the word of God that, that yes, we have various translations. And, and throughout my travels in the world, right, you, you, you look at various uh, translations of the Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and Hungarian or whatever it might be, Spanish, and, and, and you, we realize we have these translations, but we also we have to have that foundation of those original languages that God communicated to us and through those human authors to make sure that what is said in our translations in English and Spanish and so on, that, that they are accurate in accordance with, right? So we need to hold and value those who study well and, and learn of those things deeply to, to give to us what we have. Let me, for a moment, back it way up, and, and, and because this is a conversation that seems to happen fairly frequently, is that we'll talk with somebody and say, well, you know, I've tried to read the Bible, I just don't get anything out of it. Let me encourage you to think about a few things, if that's where you're at. First of all, evaluating your relationship with God on a daily basis. What, what, what's the measure of of faith and of practice in your life? Do, 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 do you have known sin in your life, right, that you're practicing, you're living out in, in a sinful manner that is perhaps inhibiting your, your communication with the Spirit of God as you're reading the Word of God? Just evaluating your life as a, as a follower of Jesus. And, and, and let me just go back even a step further and say, are you truly a follower of Jesus? Have you given your life to him? Have you confessed your faith in him and submitted yourself to him as your savior? Evaluating that relationship with God. And, and realizing we not only read the scripture, right? Sometimes we can approach the Bible of like, okay, you know, Hebrews chapter 4. And I read those first four verses and then we set it down and go about our day and never think about it again. No, like to approach the word of God to, to receive what God has is to also meditate on the word of God. In other words, that just simply means to keep it on your mind. To work hard, to keep it on your mind. Write it on a three by five card. Put it on a mirror. You know, write it on, so on a piece of paper on your desk. Something that you see often so that as you go throughout your day and as you experience various things, you have to make certain decisions. Like you're, you're using the word of God as your filter. How does that that I read, you know, this morning perhaps uh, apply to this decision I'm now having to make? 
as we received that text this morning from my son, one of the first things, and not to not to brag about it, but one of the things, like it's just the way that it works. As you as you we we enter into those times of life, like first question was, man. God, how do you want us to respond to this? How does your word lead us to respond to this? What is the, it wasn't, wasn't the, the fear and panic for my son and, and daughter-in-law. It was, no, how does God's word lead us to respond in a situation like that? You're not just reading it. You're meditating on it, applying your heart to understanding. And you approach your time in the word with prayer, with desire, asking God to give you that understanding, and he certainly will through the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, who is your true teacher. So reading and meditating on the Word of God, doing what we call devotions or a quiet time, friend, that's not a burden. It's not a burden in our day. It's a gift of God. He's communicated with us. He's communicated with us because you, he wants you to know him and he wants you to understand his ways. And, and for us, we realize the challenge of, of understanding or the challenge of even, you know, the desire of, of reading the word. Like, that's not a weakness in God's word. That's a weakness in our own hearts. This thing called sin. There is a real thing, a spiritual battle that goes on in this world, right? And, and, and this part of that spiritual battle is we have this sin nature that, that wants to resist what is of God. And so no doubt, like no, no question, like are we going to have this, this issue in our hearts of, of wanting to know and learn and work hard to understand? Yes, we are. And it's part of growing in that godliness. It's part of, of surrendering ourselves and following him to say, I'm going to push through that. And I'm going to resist that in the name of Christ because I know I have a loving Savior who's given himself for me and God is communicating with me. I want to know who he is and understand his ways and seek to follow him. This living and active sword of the Spirit as the author of Hebrews says, right? The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. What is living and active? It's living and active because God is living and active, and it's his word. God has revealed himself in written form for all of us to return to over and over. And it's the sword. The word used here is relating to a short sword, a dagger-like of instrument that was used, of course, to pierce the flesh. I love what one commentator said, Warren Wearsby is his name, he's a longtime beloved pastor, and he wrote this, and I just thought it very fitting just to walk through with you his comments on the sword in his last couple of uh, theme series says it is true that the word of uh, that the word cuts the heart of sinners with conviction and that the word defeats satan the emphasis is on the power of the word to penetrate and expose the inner heart of man the word is a discerner or a critic the Israelites criticized God's word instead of allowing the word to judge them. 
right? So let's pause for a second. He's, in these first few chapters, speaking of that example of Israel, right? Let's not repeat what they did. Let's not drift away from what God is clearly communicating. Let's draw into it. Let's, let's strive to enter that rest that God desires for you. And he uses that example of Israel, say they were the ones who criticized God's word, right? They were the they played the role of critic and thinking, well, God doesn't really know what he's talking about. We're going to go and create these idols, and we're going to go worship these false gods, and we're going to go do our own thing, right? They were they played the role of discerner and critic of the word of God. What what he's getting at here is saying, no, 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 it's got to be the opposite. We let God's word be the discerner and the critic of our soul and of our life. We let the word of God be that which exposes our sinfulness and shortcoming. And we align ourselves with it. The piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wearsby goes on to say, of course God sees our hearts. But we do not always know what is there. Right? We need help to discern what is present. God sees it. God knows it. And so God uses the word to enable us to see the sin and unbelief in our own hearts. We don't like that, do we? That's what God's word does. The word exposes our hearts. And then, if we trust God, the word enables our hearts to obey God and claim his promises. This is why each believer should be diligent to apply himself to hear and heed God's word. In the word, we see God. and We also see how God sees us. And we see ourselves as we really are. This experience enables us to be honest with God, to trust his will, and to obey him. And I would simply add, and to rest. In him, right? To be honest with ourselves. To be honest before God, to receive what God has given to us by his grace and the Holy Spirit and salvation and life. God is so gracious to us, friends. He has communicated to us in many ways and many times through his son in these last days, revealed in his written word so that we can rest in him. Do you want rest for your soul? My encouragement to you is in this coming year, seek like never before to engage with the word of God. And do so in a way of humbly saying, God, I want to hear what you have for me. I want your Holy Spirit to teach me, to grow me, and to transform me into the image of Christ. I'll finish with this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I like what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, 
which is at work in you believers. May we receive it as it really is, right? The word of God. God loves you, friend. He wants you to know him and understand his ways because he loves you and he's made you for his glory and his honor. We're going to finish with prayer today. I'm going to pray for you. Ask the Lord to strengthen each of us in this regard. So, Father, as we bow our heads and come to you, we're thankful that you have communicated with us throughout history. This is true and evident. You have shown yourself. You have declared who you are. You have called us to relationship. You've called us to rest in you. You've called us to experience purpose and meaning, life in you, hope, peace. Father, I pray that in this coming year, for everybody who right now is listening in, that we would each, wherever we are in this spiritual journey, Lord, that we would each just take another step. A step that takes us more deeply and engaged in your word. Not just reading it to somehow pacify our guilt feeling if we don't. But Father, I pray that we would each take another step in deeply meditating upon your word, receiving it into our heart and our minds, allowing your Holy Spirit to use it to transform us, to change our thinking, to change our attitudes and our heart. so that we live to the praise of your glory more and more. And in that journey, Father, we thank you for your, your, your patience. <laughs> you are a patient God. You know where we're at. You've given us what we need. May we take that next step by your grace and through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.